welcome to Help Me Unlock. My name is Aditi and this podcast documents my business growth journey, my unlocking journey in real time. At any given point, I am working on unlocking business growth, product design, marketing, sales, mindset. I'm figuring out how to dissolve all of the bottlenecks that are getting in my way so that I can take my business to the next level. The thing is, I don't have any answers for you. I'm just making my way along my entrepreneurial journey and I have one repeating question. Can you help me unlock? Each episode is a live coaching session with an expert, an author, a thought leader, someone to whom I pose that very question. The Help Me Unlock podcast is serendipity at its best. These conversations are candid, unrehearsed, and they're just flowing as they're getting recorded. In every episode, you're going to discover the hidden gem, the secret, the key to unlock that my guest shares at the exact same moment that I discover it. These conversations are also private and precious to me, and sharing them with you is, to me, a way of celebrating. You see, I've had the immense pleasure of stumbling onto my life's purpose, ever learning, ever sharing, and ever serving. I'm delighted that you're diving in, celebrating, and discovering with me. Start anywhere you like. I'll see you inside. Do you struggle with taking decisions? I know I do. Sometimes it's as trivial as what flavor of ice cream I want to pick. And other times, of course, it's the big decisions like, should I hire or not? Or as you will hear in this episode, how do I pick the perfect office location for our new offices? The guest with me in the studio today has the most interesting approach to decision-making. He, in fact, makes a living from helping organizations and individuals take better decisions. So believe me when I say he knows a thing or two. Trigva Botten is the founder of Think Decisions, a consulting firm focused on supporting and transferring decision-making skills to organizations and businesses. Trigva has broad experience as a decision science leader, advisor, and analyst from Chevron, an international energy company recognized for its decision-making practices. For several years, Trigva has been actively involved in training and developing individuals in quality decision-making and has been a part of over 300 projects and investment decisions. Trigva has a Master of Science in International Business from the Norwegian Business School, and he is a fellow at the Society of Decision Professionals. In this episode, Trigva and I talk about how to pick the right decision-making criteria, methods for effective decision evaluation, bias management in decision-making, does more information mean better decisions, and we go through a live, real-life example as Trigva walks me through a decision-making process using his framework. As entrepreneurs, the one thing that we do every day is make decisions. Some of these are small day-to-day decisions, and some of these are large decisions that have long-term implications and repercussions on our business. I just thought that bringing Trigva on and having this conversation about criteria, bias in decision-making, is going to help me and you, hopefully, to start to evaluate decisions better and make better decisions for the future of your business. Enjoy this episode. I'm going to catch you on the other side. Trigva, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to dive into our conversation. I have to do this um, because we're going to talk about decision-making. 
Thank you for making the decision to give me your time today. Thank you so much, uh, Aditi, for, for having me. I look forward to this. Super. Let's get into it, Trigba. I've been, it's been on my mind when I when I discovered your LinkedIn profile and read through your bio, I was like, we have to talk because these last few months, the last 15 months have been full of uncertainty, full of a lot of quick decisions and pivots for me, for a lot of my clients, for people around me. And I've been thinking, how do you make, how do you make the right decision? And it's exhausting sometimes to keep thinking about every single outcome, every possibility. And then I saw your profile and I was like, I know who I want to speak to about this problem. <laughs> so let's just talk a little bit Trigva, about decision-making in uncertain times. Yeah, sure. So, so I think, you know, now uncertainty is on everyone's mind with, with a pandemic and, and, a, and a changing world. And you may see that, you know, people interpret this as, you know, the world is more uncertain and, and maybe it is so. Uh, but you may also argue, well, it's just the, the perspective of, the, of people's um, uncertainty of the world that's changing or now sinking in. So for, for some people, you may say, well, this is the world has has not really been becoming more uncertain. This is what's always been there. It's just our perception of reality that's changing. Um, I but, love that. <laughs> so, so I think um, you know before diving into to to kind of how to make good decisions and and how we can improve in that, maybe take a step back and talk about you know the distinction between decision and outcome. Yes. Because that's often something that we really need to have clear on our mind before we kind of dive into this in terms of, okay, a decision is something I choose as a conscious act of, of choices. Mm -hmm. And when I make a decision, you know, I may end up with a good outcome or I may end up with a bad outcome. Right. In the other way, I can also make a poor decision and I can make it, end up with a really good outcome and also a really bad one. Right. So distinguishing between, okay, do I make a good decision or, or do I make a poor decision and actually end up lucky and, and, and um, with a really, really good outcome is something to, to be aware of. So when we talk about in decision science, when you talk about making good decisions, is that upfront part that we control right. in the light of the uncertainty we talked about. Right. Yeah. Oh, that, that. That's such an insightful distinction to look into because most of us club the two together, don't we? It's uh, if it turns out okay, then yes, I made the right decision. And uh, that's not necessarily how it is because when you're making the decision, you have no idea what the outcome is going to be. Exactly. And, you know, the more, if your perception of reality of how uncertain the world is, is changing over time. You know, the more important is it to, to be aware of this aware of this this thing as well. So if you are if you're the person that you say no, there's there's no uncertainty, obviously making decisions could be much easier, but you are always in these times where there are a lot of uncertainties and you know making good decisions become difficult when the decisions are you know complex, there ambiguity, um, yeah. there's different perspectives. We need to take care of okay, what do our stakeholders views are and perspectives are even having multiple criteria so if i only look at one criteria versus another um or if i have five or, or more than five or 10 or 20 people i need so not people but criteria i need to consider 
you know, that also adds to the complexity and uh, and so forth. So, you know, there's a lot of things that goes into, you know, making hard decisions or that causing a decision to be tough to make. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, let's talk about criteria a little bit, because I, um, I've been reading a lot about criteria. I've been reading something called a book called Outcome Driven Innovation. And the whole book is uh, very much based on basically choosing the right criteria and, and thinking about or considering the right criteria. How do you arrive at the right criteria? Is there a science behind that process? Well, I think there's a science behind the process that starts with framing up your problem to understanding what are you really trying to do? What are your objectives and values? What what is really important for you? Mm-hmm. And based on that, diving into what type of alternatives are man is seeking at. And the criteria is just a reflection of the consequences of choosing one of those alternatives. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you said that obviously when there's multiple criteria, it's a more complex decision to make and it's it's going to require a little bit more diving into the problem than a simple decision like where am I going to have lunch today, right? So um, how do we, can, can we talk about that a little bit, the complexity that comes with too many criteria or a lot of criteria on the table and how you deal with that? Right. So then, you know, you would have different ways of, of um there's different ways of deciding. So you could have, you know, these um, scoring matrices that sometimes you use to evaluate and then have your criteria. Right. And you, you put a score uh, and, and some people even put a weighting on, on these to kind of weight and calculate the average of, of, um, of the decision alternatives. And that, that may or may not be a good approach. Um, right. So, for 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 me, I think you know it all depends a little bit on you know the, the the group and the decision you're you're making. Are you know are we how is the level of bias handling? Are we handling biases in our decision making? And how is you know these these um, weightings that we come up with uh, solicited? So so I think it's really really important to to have a really clear frame of mind on and deliberate in terms of how do I actually choose the method for how I go about trading off these different values. Right, right, right. I think it becomes a little bit, I don't know, harder for some people, maybe easier for some people to do this whole thing alone. And um, being a, a solopreneur for the most part with a with a support team, I feel alone in a lot of the big decisions that I make for my business. And of course, I, w- I, I will like discuss it with um, my partner or I'll discuss it with my sister or a couple of people here and there, maybe a friend, but they're not in it. Like looking at all the criteria, the way I would look at a criteria at the criteria when I'm solving a problem or making a decision for my business. Um, can we talk a little bit about that process and how to make it easier to, to feel like you've made a balanced decision when you're making decisions alone? Right. So, so I think, you know, the, the aspect of, of being alone, you can take that and look at the decision maker in, in a big organization or a company. Mm-hmm. He, he or she may also feel alone when they are burdened with this decision. Right. And, and I think a good, um, when, when things become complex and things become overwhelming, it's important to do ha- that you do have a structured approach to making these decisions. 
Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, some of the things to think about is, you know, what do we, what do you really want? What are your values and objectives? Mm-hmm. And what are we, what do we know today? And what do we don't know? And try and assess the information that you need. And not all information that you are able to obtain is valuable information for you. Right. Um, so it's not meaning that information is more information equals a better decision. Mm. Uh, and then talk about, you know, what alternatives is out there. And when you have that, you know, all of this should really be standing on the frame that we briefly mentioned that we can come back to a little bit, but you need to have a full, full understanding of what the frame is. What is the purpose of what are you really trying to do? Mm. And I think if you, if you don't have those things carved out properly, it's going to be even more challenging to get down to these, the values and and do in the decision-making itself. So, you know, one of the things is go beyond kind of this um, deterministic world where you look at things and you quantify actually these uncertainties that you have identified because these values or these decision criteria that you come up with, they're impacted by by a lot of different things like different type of uncertainties that we started off this, this podcast with. So all these uncertainties that you feel and you see in some way, it would be good to quantify to see how they affect all the different criteria that you have picked. Mm. So, so without quantifying or without understanding the impact of these uncertainties, it's going to be really you almost like you're making a decision in, in you know with with glasses on that that doesn't have a proper glass. So there's there's going to be, or if you if you use glasses, you take off your glasses and you make a decision. It's going to be really hard to to see and get clarity on on what's the best alternative here. Yeah, 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 I get that. I relate. I couldn't get to the end of the room without my glasses on, so I'm not making a big decision without them on. Um, so so tell me tell me something, um, Trigva. Let's go through that process, right? So you, you brought us back to that frame or the framing around the problem that you mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, how, do you, how does it start? Where do you go from there? Talk to me about the frame as a first step. Sure. So, so I think here it's important to think about you don't want the frame to be too broad because then it becomes overwhelming. Um, it's hard to find, you know, the focus of what you're trying to do. Right. And on the other side, on the other extreme, it shouldn't be too narrow either because you may not answering the right um, solution or you're not answering the right question, right? So you're mm-hmm. you're too narrow into your frame and you're, there's threats that's out there that's unforeseen because you have been too too focused. Right. So, so we talk about in in the concept of decision quality, which is kind of is a is a framework for how we make decisions mm. to get an appropriate frame. So what is the appropriate frame to have you know the different views involved in the when we talked about the purpose and the perspectives and the scope right. of the decision. Right. Um, so you're able to frame the right problem. But here is really, you know, talking about a conversation around, okay, what are we, re- what are we working on and why? What are we really trying to solve? Mm. And here objectives are really, really important. So what are your objectives for this? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does this type of opportunity make sense for, for you? Um, you know, what are the what are you trying to accomplish? What issues do we see out in the world? What do we have control of? What do we yeah. don't control? Uh, and and even a decision that we have up front may may have sub decisions. So there may right. be 
incremental steps here we need to make and, and there may be dependencies between variables. So we need to carve all this out and lay it out in this structured manner before we kind of go any further into you know the alternatives and 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 um, the information that we gather in order to get these um, to assess the assess the decisions. Can we do something fun, Twigba? I've sure. got a decision on hand right now that I've got to make about an office space because I want an office space um, downtown, and we're coming out of the pandemic, and I'm ready to kind of start working away from home again. Uh, so how? Can we can we kind of go through this process step by step and just talk about that a little bit so so we give um, our listeners as well a practical way of understanding the frame and then criteria and kind of moving through the decision making process. Does that sound okay? Sure, we can try that. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. So I need an office space downtown. <laughs> so so why do you need an office space? Yeah. So. I'm struggling right now with all of my activities split between different locations. So I have a home office, I have a home studio where I'm having this conversation with you now, and I have meetings and a lot of other commercial client activities that happen downtown. So my day has become so inefficient, kind of moving between all of these things. I can't do things back to back because I got to run somewhere else after this podcast recording, you know, so it's just been a bit disjointed. And while in the Corona world, it was perfectly okay for me to bring everything in here and just operate through Zoom, it's now becoming a little impractical. So I'm feeling the drain on my time by not having a focus space where I can work. Okay, so so it so so there's a given decision that you will go out and get an office space. Yes. So, okay, so you already decided that, right? Right. Is that so what I'm hearing? Decision I've already made. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So are are you then considering um, what what type of office, or are you considering what um, uh, type of lease or are you purchasing and, and have you and made any other decisions that are firm for you that you don't need to worry about but they are part of your frame so i'm kind of now stepping into the process of looking at my options and and that's where things get a little bit like i know i have a decision to make soon which is i could get a private office um that's obviously going to cost me a lot more but it's a full solution in that one space or I have the option to be a part of like a co-working space that gives me all of those facilities, um, but I miss out on on certain kind of do what I want with my time flexibilities because there's bookings involved and a lot of other things with co-working spaces. So I suppose the fork in the road right now is should I just go with a co-working space where I have a space to work downtown or should I go out and look for uh, a private office for leasing? And and you you pointed out downtown. So let me ask you: Is is downtown uh, a given decision for you? Have you made your decision? It has to be downtown, or what's your definition of downtown? Yeah. Okay. So so for for those in Oslo, are they're going to understand this? <laughs> Around the National Theater area is where a lot of my client offices are. It's where it's easy for me to commute to. So I just by default, pick that as a location. And I call that downtown, but it's very much kind of, I'm, if I find a great place 10 minutes from there or 15 minutes from there, which in Oslo lands you in a whole other area, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay. So, so you actually have a much broader area than just the downtown. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so what you described now is that you there is a, you mentioned a criteria here, which was cost. Right. So you're you're willing to trade off cost with distance, essentially, or commute time. Yeah. Right. Potentially. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you so what are are there any other scope or any other things elements that belongs out of scope or out of out of this frame or that you wouldn't. So that's kind I, of you're a little bit debating if it should be included or not included. Yeah, I would, so I'd say I definitely need my space to be multi-use and allow me to do all of the business activities that I currently do split between home office and other locations. So whether it's a whole building that's a co-working space or one office, I need to be able to record my podcast, to produce my video content, and to have all of my meetings and workshops. Okay, so so when you're doing that, when you're thinking about these things, um, have you already gotten out to to search for for alternatives, or, or what are the things that you are? There any alternatives that you're not including here? Mm, not really, not at this point. But that's because I still don't know entirely all of my options. I'm going to start seeing real estate agents, etc. So where we are now. Would this be framing the the decision that I'm trying to make? Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. So so when I talk about in my world, so so different practitioners do this differently. But in my world, I'm framing. Then I talk about setting the purpose, perspective, and scope. I talk about alternatives as part of my frame. Right. Um, so alternatives I, is where we're at now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Just to get, just to just for me to stay with you on the process train. <laughs> Absolutely. So so there's six elements to this that we're going through now that we're going to judge the decision on. Um, okay. Eventually. So so we have kind of done a rough frame. We kind of know where you want to be, uh, what type of size of office, and you're validating a few alternatives. So the alternatives are um, uh, either a co-working area mm -hmm. or a non-co-working yeah so so that's really one decision right um have you talked them have, have you made any considerations around um price and and noise and these type of things that's related to your um decision yeah. criteria yeah so i have a budget of about 25 to thirty thousand kroner a month for this space and that was also based on me scoping out and looking at my options in the market a little bit and what real estate costs to, to rent in Oslo, commercial real estate. And then noise is definitely a big factor because I want to record podcast episodes and videos and produce content in that space. So uh, if I have kind of bangs or an orchestra or a nursery around, that's not going to work. Right. So, 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 you correct me here, but I noted budget, noise, size, and commute. Were there any other things you would consider? Yeah, closeness to like vegan food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> closeness to vegan food. But not really. It's not a big criteria. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, so the first decision we, we talked about is, okay, what, what type of low office location? So we, we had an alternative of, uh, and sorry for me repeat myself here, but you had a, um, a co-working. Co yeah. And then you had your, I don't know what you want to call it, like a... 
private office. Private office. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And any other? Does it have to be? Is it a minimum on the on the size of the office and uh, or the noise or uh, you mentioned? Yeah, you can't have any too noisy environments around. Neighbors. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in terms of size, I need fifteen to twenty square meters because I won't be able to do everything that I need to do unless someone creatively tells me how to use a much smaller space to do the things I want to do. But yeah, I'm looking at approximately 15 to 20 square meters. Okay. And then you said it, it can be less than 15? It could be, but I don't know how to fit the way I function now, that like my podcast setup right now with the lights and everything. I don't know if I can fit it in anything much smaller and still have a working area for a desk or or whatever else. Okay. So 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 under 10 wouldn't work. Under 10 wouldn't work. So right. so when I was on the phone with someone and she said we've got one person offices for for 6 to 7 square meters that was a hard no for me. Got it. Okay. So so you have a lower you know any alternative that's below 10 wouldn't be considered, right? They wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Let's say that. Yeah. And then on the noise part, what is the, how, how would you measure the noise? Like how, how would you? I suppose I shouldn't, my microphone shouldn't catch it, whatever's okay. going on. <laughs> so you can do a few podcast tests and then you can come up and you can say, well, if it's below uh, or sorry, above a certain um, decibel, you would say, okay, this is not yeah. going to work because my video yeah, yeah. podcast. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know what that is, but we can just... Um, we have it. Yeah, it's something have it, that yeah. it would be a... Um, I mean, I would have to step out of a space that I rent if I find out that it's noisy after I move in. Essentially, that's how important that criteria is. Okay. So, and, and the budget, just remind you, me, you said the budget was around how much? 20, 25 to 30,000 kroner a month. Okay. So, meaning you wouldn't consider anything above 30? Yeah, that would be really my upper limit. And that was if I loved something and it was everything I wanted it to be. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So do you have any alternatives that you have looked at, specific alternatives already? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a part of co-working spaces. And so I can make it work. It's just that the effort and struggle to make that option work is, is, is quite... It's quite a bit higher than having a private space. Okay. So you do have one co-working, but have you looked at physical locations? No. So I'm going to I'm going to look at my options for the first time shortly after our call actually. Okay. And then also that goes also for the private yes. offices, right? Yes. Absolutely. So so I think like once you have these alternatives, mm -hmm. You can lay them out and there may be multiple private and there may be multiple co-working alternatives and you can lay right. that out in, in a table. Right. Um, and you can have your criteria that we talked about. We talked about the closeness to vegan, being close to vegan food. I don't know what close means to you, but does that mean that, does that, mean that you, hand, you, cannot, you don't accept uh, food delivery? You have to actually go there, be ah. able to go there yourself or... See, there you go. You just open up like five other ways for me to think about it because I didn't. I was thinking I need to walk out the door and it should be 50 to 100 meters away. <laughs> right. But but of course, food delivery is an option. But so are these 
are those the criteria then that we're looking at for me to make a decision? Right. So now, now we're talking about these criteria and, and, and it's perfect because we talked about these criteria and the power of the framing discussion is a dialogue between you and, and me in this case. Mm. And what happened is that you've already narrowed down on one criteria, but I asked you the question and now you're opening up your frame again to some other alternatives you hadn't considered. So this is a great example of why you should have this conversation. And you may have ended up with one location that is suboptimal and you're leaving out what was actually be perfect. That would be very close to a big um, a center of, of, of businesses that would be a much easier way to attract, attract future clients. So these are the type of discussion that's really powerful. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't. It's just, yeah, it's, this is why I wanted to go through this with you to understand kind of how to how to think about it, because I'm pretty sure just by going through this, I'm probably going to take it back. And when I apply it to something else where I'm making my next decision, I'm going to think about, oh, OK, what do I want out of this? Why am I making this decision? And um, God knows I have burnt my fingers many times, <laughs> either confusing myself completely, drowning myself in criteria that I'm not even sure what, because I'm not sure what outcome I want. Right. And so that's, yeah, it's, it, but it's, an, it's interesting to go through it through your, by, no, in your perspective this way. So, so now that you have, or later, once you have figured out, okay, what are all my options? Your next task will be to see, okay, from all these criteria that I had, mm. Does it any is any of these options that I need to screen out or exclude because of they are more expensive, which is kind of an easy one. Uh, mm -hmm. The decibel or the volume or the noise in, in the mm -hmm. area is too much or your vegan issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so you kind of need to go down that path and, and to help you narrow down on right. your alternatives, because often. You know, either there's like two, there's two extremes, you know, either you go ahead and say, yes, I know what I want. And I jump on this apparent solution and that's kind of the easy way. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't mean that you made a good decision, but you're using your gut feel because you feel maybe overconfident or you're OK and you have a good grasp on what this all all this all this decision is all about. And you can go and make that decision. Well, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But. And the other extreme is that you go down the path and you're having way too many alternatives and trying to assess that's going to take a lot of time and inefficiency. So that's why we often have a step before that where we kind of screen out some of the alternatives that you see clearly up front is not going to work. And you're focusing your effort on what really matters and what decision are really going to bring you any additional value. Yeah. Yeah. Can we go back a couple of steps um, to the gut? gut gut instinct gut decision piece that you just talked about Twigba, because i make a lot of decisions from intuition and uh in many cases like you said it's not necessarily tied to outcome right so in some cases it turns out great in some cases it's like oops i figured out one more way not to do this um why do why do we rely on gut instinct why does it feel so right in that moment and how do you kind of objectively look at that moment and decide, hang on, okay, so my gut instinct is this, but is there like a pause that would be a good pause here? 
Absolutely. So I think a lot of, so think about the decisions, not all the decisions that you make during a day is, is worth going through more of a structured way. You make these based on gut and it's perfectly natural and, and fine. And we survive even though we put on the wrong pair of pants. So it's not the consequences are not tremendous for us. Yeah. So perfectly fine. But I think, you know, the signpost is when things become, when you in your gut, you feel, does this feel right? Uh, you should always do this test. Does this feel right with what I know? Um, regardless, I mean, at some point when, when things become too complex, meaning there's so much uncertainty, there's a lot of variability, there's a lot of decision. I, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. This would at least be a strong signpost that I should probably, you should probably turn into more of a structured approach to, to make a decision. That doesn't mean that it's going to take you uh, decades to do. It just means that you were trying to get your thoughts down on paper mm. to help you elicit that, that process a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what my default is there? It's making a pros and cons list. <laughs> Exactly. So, 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 which could be, could be okay, but may not be uh, the best way either, right? Because if you already have a narrow frame, or if you have a lot of these biases that we can talk a little bit more about in terms of, okay, I'm overconfident in myself and how I make decisions. Sure. Mm -hmm. I, I always make a decision and, and I never know how it goes because I always think I'm good. So, right. So, so, so you will never be able to, if you have that attitude, you will never be able to adjust to improve your decision-making skills and, and your ability to make even better choices, right? Because you already discount that that world exists. And I say, okay, I'm confident in myself and this is how, this is how it is. And yeah. there's a lot of people like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, okay, so equipped with what you are equipped with trigger don't you feel like like you got this you can make the right decision every time because <laughs> you you've got this frame and your default is to look at it in this organized manner so i i think i i, I feel comfortable that i can make these decisions with some sort of good strong indication that you know this is actually a good decision for me that doesn't mean that the decisions being made are easy Right. So I also distinguish between, you know, sometimes you need to make tough choices. And but as long as they are clear, do I understand if I'm picking alternative A versus alternative B, here's my consequences. So here's what could happen. Right. So I'm at some point, since the world is not static, it's not a certain outcome. There's a variability of where you can end up. You have to consider that variability and, and also in in your as a as a decision maker your risk tolerance so you know am i willing to accept this downside um right so right yeah kahneman and uh, tversky is you know some some big names with um, within this field you know they developed the prospect theory which is all about like you know behavioral in decision making mm -hmm. and and kahneman has written a book i don't know if you heard about it like uh, thinking fast and slow oh yeah yeah of course yeah i've heard of that yeah right so so this um so so this book i think should be they talk about system one and system two where the system one is you know this um um you make decisions that are easy to make so for instance if i ask you what is two plus two so you can easily without thinking too much suggest that's four uh <laughs> Yeah. So, so that is an example of, um, you know, a decision that happens in system one that you're very 
uh, it's almost like a rule of thumb type of decision versus right. system two is a more a deeper level where you're talking about, you know, they are um, able to, to, to make much more complicated and detailed analytics. And, mm. and so, you know, the struggle sometimes is to, if, if you go on intuition, you're, you're most of the time in a system one world, mm. um, maybe bridging over to system two, but you're not used to like utilizing system two fully. And right. that's why sometimes it's good to think about this a little bit before you rush in, especially when the consequences are 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 great. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so how? What would be like a system two problem or decision? So a system two would be something like we just did now, right? You, you right. were uncertain on the office space, and now you had to kind of think about this. This wasn't something right. you did on autopilot, like, um, yeah. what should I eat for breakfast? And or, right, yeah. right, yeah. So, and and it's a decision with with kind of bigger consequences or larger consequences, and so it goes through system two. Right. And, and so this also comes like when there's more variability, there's more ambiguity, like we talked about the impact of what you're doing is, is greater. It's also um, better or is a better way to actually go down and think about this a little bit more and utilizing that brain power that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. How do you how do you become a better decision maker? Twigla? Is that is that like a, can everyone can everyone become a, a better decision maker? Yes, I, I I think so. Uh, I think I do think some people are better decision makers than others in nature. Okay. Yeah. But I don't think, and this is just my personal opinion based on, based on my experience. But I also think that if you're not a good decision maker, you have absolutely the capabilities to become a good decision maker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think one step here is you know having this being aware of what is a good decision. And we talked about the frame, we talked about alternatives, we talked about a little bit about the information, you know, what information do you include into your assessment or your decision-making? Mm -hmm. We talked about these values like noise and budget mm -hmm. and the reasoning, how do you come up with the choices? How do you reason your, your selection or your, your um, decision? And the last one there is, you know, the commitment to actually do I'm actually committed to go in with this or do I change my mind next week or next month and then end up with a worse alternative, right? Or a better one if, if you haven't assessed it properly. Right, right. Can we talk a little bit about changing your mind? Because uh, so I and I always I always tell people I'm Libran and so I can't make a decision. And once I make a decision, I'm going to change my mind. <laughs> and I, I'm often I will like flit between options for such a long time, and I often procrastinate on making a final decision because I'm like weighing my options. Um, mm -hmm. How 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 does one deal with that? How does one kind of minimize the time you spend? flitting between options and changing my mind well i think in your example so you're already you have decided what the criteria are you know you right. you have decided what the frame is you have decided the alternatives and you also have elicited information you, you go out there and seek information to to make sure that you understand the consequences mm. and the benefits of the different alternatives mm. and the best thing I like to do is to look for 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 dominance. So if you have you end up with three alternatives in your table or or four, mm -hmm. look at which one is dominated by another alternative. 
And if something is worse off on all these criteria, you can take them off. So that right. simplifies your choices. So, so when you say dominant, it, it is it checks off the most amount of criteria that I put down. Uh, not only that, I think it, it it performs better than. So if you have alternative A and D, and and D is better than A on all of these criteria we talked about, now mm-hmm. D is dominating A. So you can remove A because D is always better. So there's no there's no reason for you to go and either even consider yeah. that, right? Yeah, think, right. So it's one step you kind of narrow down. But I think once you have, you need to have some faith in your uh, in your process and, and your judgment as well yeah. um, that, okay, yes, I accept that this is the best alternative for me based on this logic. I'm able to reason. But I think you bring up an interesting point. If you make a decision and then afterwards you feel oh, that doesn't feel good. Okay, there, maybe there's something wrong here, right? But how you have assessed this, your reasoning maybe needs to be investigated a little bit further. Mm, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's just so many, I'm like, as you're speaking, applying it to a hundred decisions that I've made in the last week and I'm thinking, oh yeah, okay, maybe I need to go back and think about <laughs> my reasons for making that decision. No. That's so, go on. Yeah, no, no, I just said, I mean, this is a, this is a big field, uh, decision sciences. And I mean, it goes all the way from, you know, a descriptive where we talk about how do we make decisions and, and to the normative way of within decision theory, which is more about, you know, theory of games and economic behavior. And in between there, you have, you know, the predictive and the prescriptive. It's like, what could we do? What could happen? And how do we optimize our decisions? Right. So it goes into the, you know, behavioral science, it goes into the statistical and the uh, and economic and, and uh, game theory. So, so the, it's a vast area. Um, right. So I think, you know, my point being is that there's so much you could do with this, right. but applying it also to personal decisions like this, you know, you can still use the same type of framework in order to help you structure some of the thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Is it different or how is it different rather when you're making a decision personally or like for one person organization like I am here, as opposed to when you're making a complex decision where a lot of heads and teams and and people are involved? How How is the process different when you would take a larger team through this decision making process? I think from... I, I had a boss once that said, you know, whenever he took the family on on a on a vacation, he did the decision quality check on where they were going to make sure the family went on a, on a on the best possible uh, vacation. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so I just demonstrate that you can go through these checks and and um, you know have this 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 structure approach without it being overwhelming in itself. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I make decisions for myself and, and the company I have um, with the people I'm involved with, you know, we go through this. Um, if you are alone, you can go through this. I think the difference in when you have an organization and multiple people, it becomes a more complex because also you have different perspectives. It's not just you now that um, you have to consider other um, yeah. other views and perspectives. So the perfect example is, you know, how are we doing with the, energy, the green energy transition these mm-hmm. days, right? Mm-hmm. So you have one, you have one parts that you know want to go all um, 
uh, stop producing oil uh, and gas and just go to renewable right away. And then yeah. you have other who wants to continue. So, so there's different, and I'm saying one is wrong, one is right. I'm just saying there's differences in views and perspectives and values. So certain groups or individual value economic um, uh, economics more than they do uh, the environmental or 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 other things. So, so you you know it becomes more complex when you talk about multiple perspectives, multiple objectives as well. So right. for for instance, I can take you through the, the example with your office again. Yeah, you may have seen. You may I don't know. We didn't really talk about um, which of these value criteria or decision criteria was m- most important to you. You know, was it the vegan yeah. place or was it the cost or is the size most important? We didn't really go down that path. But you can imagine if you had three or four other people that would depend yeah. on the choice that you made, also had to yeah. be there. Like, how would yeah. they value? Right. If yeah. if one valued budget or size more than um, the commute time, for instance, right? Yeah. How would you go yeah. and balance? So that's where the complexity comes in, and the methods of deciding also becomes more um, uh, important. What I'm finding so intriguing, uh, Twigva here, is sure one one part of it is yes, of course, what practically what is most important to you size or budget or or closeness to to a metro station um which are all kind of objective practical things you know i don't want to commute or i don't want to whatever it is but you also you mentioned the word values a few times and i'm thinking in terms of values for me um peace of mind the ability to be able to really do my work those are values that come above say a payout so if I felt 100% peace and effortlessness to do my work in a space, I, I think that 30,000 budget we put there wouldn't matter so much, you know? So in terms of values, it's, and, and that's such a personal or intimate process for everyone that's making a decision. You know, you think about in your business as well, you really have to think about what is most important to you outside of the overall frame of this decision exactly and i think you know again you you start to think about this frame and your problem and as we go along here you come up with new ideas or new things that is important for you so this is again illustrate this point of you know just being rushed into a decision may not always be the right thing you know you need some soak time you need time to reflect on things so so i think this is a really good example of that I just want to connect that really quickly, uh, what you shared just now, Twigla, to to sales tactics that are like pressure sales tactics. You know, a lot of, especially in the digital space, you have these, like, you have 24 hours to make a decision or you lose this offer in two hours. Or if you buy on the webinar, then you get 50% off. And I've, I've kind of made those decisions sometimes, spur of the moment decisions and gone ahead and purchased something and then felt very dissatisfied with with the outcome or with my decision because I didn't have the time and the space to reflect and and go through what was most important to me there. And uh, yeah, do you have anything to like to to share on that? And I know it's completely out of your area of decision science, but just a personal perspective on that would be great. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm not a psychologist, and there's a reason why this the the sales people do this, right? Because yeah. it works, right? It does absolutely. <laughs> but I'm just thinking that's so it's so counterintuitive to me because it works to take my money in the moment. It doesn't work if I'm not satisfied with that decision an hour after I've been in your session. Right. So, so, so a great starting point is to lay out your objectives. What is it that you really want before you? So, if you want to do one thing, at least do that, and then evaluate. Okay, by doing this purchase, is this going to fulfill any of the objectives that I have laid out here? Is this going to make me reach my goal? And if it's not, right? If it's sure, but if it is, maybe you need to consider. But you also should. You know, this this makes us biased, right? Because we see this and react in a certain way. So it's down to this behavioral science part where we talk about like how do we how do we um, lure these customers into to buying something now and creating urgency is one of those things they yeah. do. So, yeah. But so I think the best the best thing you could do is to make sure that you are clear on your objectives. So you can value these things in a rational way. Um, yes, I, I think that's. You just, you gave me like a little magic pill to overcome that every time I have this impulse to get something. It's what am I trying to do here? And if, you know, if I've got three or four things I'm trying to do and the product or service or solution is going to help me hit one of those goals, great. If not, then it's a pass for now. I'll buy it at full price later. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's seldom that this is the only chance you have to to get whatever is discounted. I mean, you... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think it's it's the it's you know the saying goes that the 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 cynic knows the or is it the skeptic knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. And mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing where you're 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 taking the surface decision and you're looking at the numbers and you're not really thinking about the value and that's where I think some of that bias comes from for not just me but for a lot of people who who operate in this space. But yeah, how fascinating, Trigua. It's so cool that you kind of, I would love to spend my my work days <laughs> working through decisions and structures of how people make decisions. What's some, I don't know if you're, if this is too confidential to share, but what's exciting work that's going on right now that's keeping you busy these days? So we're working on um, a few companies in the, in the, energy sector with the green transition. So that's obviously um, really important. I'm helping out with uh, certain university programs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and we're continuing to, to grow the business also abroad. And unfortunately, you know, decision science is, um, is not as, what should they um in North America, it's 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 more longer traditions. I mean, this started after World War II with, you know, right. Um, and and arriving from deriving from the operations research space, and it hasn't really taken on in in Europe, but it's starting to. Mm. And if you look at Gartner, I think they had um, they they typically post these these uh, studies with what's the trend coming in the next few years, and we saw we see that you know decision intelligence, as they call it, is really decision science. It's gonna. Mm-hmm come the next few three to five years. So, so I definitely think there's a huge uh, market for this. And I think a lot of companies and individuals could benefit tremendously of, of utilizing these tools. Um, we see now a huge focus on data-driven uh, analytics 
but yeah. not so much on decision-centric analytics. And right. I think uh, we talked a little bit about information and yeah. digitalization and, and companies are buying a lot of, uh, investing a lot of money into these type of things. Yeah, I think a, a point will come that, you know, not all this information going to add value. So I think yeah. it needs to be more of, uh, okay, what are we trying to make? And then using decision, uh, sorry, decision-centric, sorry, uh, data-centric type of approaches to mm -hmm. fulfill that or in combination with a more decision focus. Right, right. Yeah, like you said, just a super simplified way of looking at that is even if I knew every single office space that is available to me in Oslo, what's the point if I don't know what I want to accomplish with that space, right? So I can have exactly. as much data and information as possible, but it makes no sense or it's not going to help me make a better decision to have all that data unless I know what I'm looking for and what outcome I want to create. Or if you already made up your mind, okay, I'm only going to determine, decide between two alternatives, you mm -hmm. know, and I acquire more information, I even pay for more information, but I'm not changing my, I'm always going to do the same thing. That value has, that information has no value for you at right. all. Yeah. As long as you don't change that decision, right? So, right. Oh, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, I think there's so much talk about just, which, which I feel in so many cases as well, information overload and you can, you can learn today information is, is not, there's no scarcity around access to information at all, right? You can find everything you need to find. Um, and yet, uh, are we making better quality decisions? Maybe, maybe not, because it could be a refining of this process that leads you to a better decision. Absolutely. That is brilliant. I loved having this conversation, Twigva. I could talk to you forever about this and even just sit down with you and be like, the next decision I want to make is this. Help me <laughs> help me work through that. So this was really, really cool. Uh, Twigva, if people want to find you, if they want to reach out to you, learn more about your work, where do I send them? So you can send them to uh, Think Decisions, which is the, the company name. And here we're using instead of a K on the thing, we're using Q because we want to illustrate the quality. We want to think in terms of quality decisions. So thinkdecisions.com, this is uh, our, our home. Great, great. And uh, LinkedIn is a good place to connect with you if they'd like to ask you any questions. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. So Twigva Button, it's, uh, it, that's his name. I'm going to uh, link you to all of Twigva's uh, pages and spell his name out for you on, the, on our show notes as well. Thank you, Twigva, so much for, for giving me this time and for taking me through this. It was an awesome conversation, and I think it's going to be valuable for anyone that listens in. Thank you, Aditi, for having me. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. I hope you took as much back from this conversation as I did. I am releasing this podcast a good couple of months after we recorded the episode. And I actually used Trigva's framework and guidance and picked a fantastic office location. I guess what I'm saying is this stuff works. <laughs> to learn more about Trigva and his consultancy, Think Decisions, visit thinkqd.com. So I'm just going to spell that out for you because it can be a little bit conf confusing. It's think with a Q. So T-H-I-N-Q-D.com. All links and my notes and reflections from this conversation are up on adityjn.com slash podcast. I'll catch you in another episode. Keep doing amazing things. Bye.